I am not Kevin. <laughs> just, just to clarify. I'm not Chris either. <clears throat> oh, no, my, my name's Nate, if you don't know. I'm uh, one of the uh, elders here. And, uh, you know, we don't focus on the elder part of that phrase, except when we're talking about Ben. Uh, <laughs> no, we are, uh, we are continuing our study of the Gospel of Matthew today. We're in Matthew uh, 26, and we're actually kind of starting a new series. We're in, a, we're in the, the finale of, of this book that we've been studying for uh, over two years now, believe it or not. It's been that long. Um, we're going to try to cover a fair amount today, but before we do any of that, I always like to go to the Lord in prayer and and just ask him to help me understand his words. If you want to join me in that, that would be great. Jesus, we thank you so much for giving us the opportunity today to hear your word, to study your word, uh, to fellowship and sing songs of praise. But, but God, uh, a carnal mind can't understand spiritual things, and, and we fill our minds every day full of, uh, of the things that are against you, whether meaning to or not. So, Lord, we just pray that you would cleanse us this morning, that uh, whatever sin uh, we've allowed into our lives that may be uh, affecting our relationship with you, Lord, that that would just be pushed aside. We know your blood is paid for it anyway, but that you would push it aside and that we could hear your voice today. Lord, that uh, our eyes would be open to the truth of who you are and who we can be in you. And we pray for your blessing on the message and on your people. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I love to read. I love movies. Uh, and one of my favorite things, one of my favorite narrative styles, is a nonlinear narrative style. And what I mean by that is where not everything is told in chronological order. You know, those movies where you're like, wait, is this a flashback? You know, is this happening now? Is this the past? Is that the future? Um, you know, Quentin Tarantino movies, we don't really recommend those in church, but you know, you know what I'm talking about, those movies that jump around and you're kind of on your toes a little bit. And Matthew, at times, writes that way, in a, in a non-linear narrative. He'll kind of jump around in the timeline. So over the last couple of months here, over the last few chapters, we've been studying <clears throat> Jesus' answer to some questions that his disciples posed to him. They've arrived in Jerusalem, and they're like, hey, is now the time? Is this the time of your kingdom? You know, when? When is everything going to happen? And Jesus has talked about, well, the kingdom will look like this, and my coming will look like this, and I'm, you know, he's been answering those questions. And, uh, and we're at the, the end of that conversation, and so in case we've kind of lost the narrative a little bit, where we're at in the timeline of things is we're a few days away from Jesus dying. Okay, this is the week of his death. In Matthew 26, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had finished all these words, all the last few chapters, he said to his disciples, You know that after two days, the Passover is coming, and the Son of Man is to be handed over for crucifixion. So we're getting down to the, to the finale. It's, it's, it's no accident that all this is taking place at Passover. 
Uh, we're going to learn more about Passover next week as well. Uh, but so that's that's where we're at timeline wise, right? It's it's two days from Passover, and then we the the just imagine in our movie that we're watching that the scene kind of fades and dissolves to another scene happening across town. Verse three it says, "Then the chief priests and the elders of the people were gathered together in the court of the high priest named Caiaphas." And they plotted together to seize Jesus by stealth and kill him. But they were saying, not during the festival, otherwise a riot might occur among the people. So Caiaphas, Caiaphas is the Roman-appointed high priest. Now, the position of high priest is, was, the way God designed it, was intended to be a lifelong appointment. Once you became high priest, you were high priest until you died. But the Romans are... Uh, are in charge, and they've set it up a little bit differently. Uh, the previous high priest was Annas, which is Caiaphas's father-in-law. So there are technically there are two high priests still alive, and they both happen to be related. Right, so that's a lot of power, a lot of influence, a lot of wealth in one family. And Caiaphas and Annas, they were both Sadducees, and you may remember Ben and I have both taught on that over the last few months the difference between Pharisees and Sadducees. and The Sadducees did not believe in an afterlife or a resurrection, so they were sad, you see. Um, and it's the worst joke, but it helps. helps you remember it. But they, were, they believed that all there is is the here and now. And God's blessing, God's favor, is shown by you amassing wealth here and now, because that's all there is. And so their family's wealth and their influence is, is greatly benefited by this current Roman situation. And Jesus is a threat to that. If the people proclaim Jesus to be their king, the Romans are going to be upset. Right? They're going to view this as an uprising. And, and so that you know, they need to do something about it. If they arrest Jesus publicly, though... It could be dangerous because the city is packed for this festival that he mentions. And basically in, in, the, old, in, the, in the scriptures we see there were, there were uh, three main festivals that people celebrated at Jerusalem. Right? So you had Passover, which is where we're at now. And then there was Pentecost, which happens you know, a little bit later. And then in the fall there was the Feast of Tabernacles. So there were the, these three things that people would come to the city to celebrate, but Passover in particular, every male over the age of 12, if you lived within 15 miles of Jerusalem, you had to celebrate it there. And if you lived outside of that radius, everyone still desired to celebrate it in Jerusalem at some point, right? Football fans all hope to one day go to the Super Bowl, right? Or uh, you know, whatever. There, it was something that everyone hoped to be able to do at some point. As a matter of fact, the traditional prayer at the end of a Passover Seder was always next year in Jerusalem. And so what would happen is that the city, during the week of Passover, would swell to a little over two and a half million people in a town that normally was maybe 100,000 people. Josephus, he's a, a Jewish historian, he, he records that over 250,000 
lambs would be slaughtered during Passover week. So you pack that many people into a small place, and you have a potential powder keg, right? You don't want to be getting a big crowd like that upset. And so the, the high priest, he's concerned. We need to do something. We need to kill him, right? Make no mistake, this wasn't just a political strategy meeting. This was a meeting to arrange a cold-blooded murder. But we can't do it publicly. Now, the scene kind of fades, and we go to a flashback. A scene from a little bit earlier. Verse 6. It says, Now when Jesus was in Bethany, at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. Now, how do we know this occurred earlier? Right? John records this account, and Mark does as well, but John makes it very clear. John 12, verse 1, says, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover. So how did the chapter start? He said, Passover is in two days. This event happens six days before the Passover. So this is a flashback, right? Six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. And Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. So here's what we know so far. Jesus is at Bethany. Bethany's this small town. It's a mile and a half or so from Jerusalem. Uh, and it, Bethany was basically like a medical clinic. There was a leper colony there. There were sick houses, which is where, you know, you would go to be nursed to health or, or seen to as you expired, sort of like hospice. And some friends of his resided there, Lazarus and Martha and Mary. It says he's having this meal with them at the home of Simon the leper. Now, I don't know what you know about leprosy, but lepers generally are not good dinner party hosts, right? They weren't allowed to have guests in their home. So this, this man apparently had been a leper and been healed by Jesus. I think that's interesting because even, even after he'd been healed, he would always have that stigma about him. People called him Simon the leper, but Jesus didn't see him that way. Jesus doesn't see us for what we've done or who we've been. He sees us for who we can be. But anyway, so they're, they're at this man's home, and he's reclining at the table, and Martha, as is her character, shocker, she's serving, right? It's not even her house, and she's working. And Mary has been sitting and listening. And she comes in the room with this alabaster vial of spikenard is what it's called. It's a very expensive oil or perfume. It's only grown uh, in India. So it was imported, very valuable. And uh, it was used for like ritual baths and, and specifically for preparing a body for burial. Now vials like this, they, they were an investment, right? This wasn't... Chanel number five, you know, not that that's cheap, you know, but this was 
worth a year's wages, we find out. Right? It was very expensive. It was the type of thing that would be passed down as a family heirloom from generation to generation. It's the type of thing that you might use to pay your dowry when you're going to be married. Something you save for your bridegroom. And Mary has been, she's been sitting at Jesus' feet and she's been listening. And Jesus has been telling everyone, like this is not new information. He's been telling them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'm going to die. But his disciples, they don't quite get, is he being literal? Because you know, he talks about dying to yourself and being born twice. and all, You know, they, they're not quite sure. But Mary, she doesn't understand all of it, but she understands enough. Her Savior says he's going to die. And she wants to offer Jesus some sort of true love, some sort of true worship. And does the only thing she can think to do. Now something just to chew on is, is this. This stuff is very valuable, right? It's a family heirloom. It's an investment. What was she saving it for? Because the previous week, her own brother had died. Lazarus was dead, and Jesus, of course, raised him from the dead. She didn't use it on Lazarus. Because when Jesus goes to the tomb and he says, remove the stone, and Martha goes, oh, Lord, by now he stinketh. He stinks, right? Because we did not anoint him with this oil. So I don't know what she was, you know, saving it for. Um, maybe it was for a dowry. Maybe it was her retirement plan. Whatever it was, it was really valuable. She's saving it. But whatever her plan had been, we know that doing this was costly to her. Right? We're not told that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were wealthy in any way. This was very costly for her. And that's the thing. A sacrificial worship is costly. When David wanted to build a place to worship the Lord in the Old Testament, he finds this piece of ground that, uh, where he wants to build this, this altar. And the owner of the ground says, well, this is a good cause. Let me give it to you. In 2 Samuel 24, verse 24, it says, The king said to Arona, No, but I will surely buy it from you for a price. For I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord, my God, which cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. He said, if I'm going to sacrifice to my Lord, it has to cost me. And acts of love and acts of worship that cost nothing tend to accomplish about the same. Problem is, most people don't understand extravagant acts of love and worship. Right? We don't really like to see it. Because guys, don't you hate it when, when your wife comes home and says, you know, Ted surprised his wife with tickets to the Bahamas and a new ring and a carriage ride through the park and there was an orchestra playing Unchained Melody and he gave her a book of poetry that he'd written all about her and it wasn't their anniversary, it was just Tuesday. And you're like, thanks, Ted. <laughs> you know, bring it down a notch. 
people will criticize you when, and try to discourage you from acts of extravagance. In Matthew 26, verse 8, we see that that's exactly what happens. It says that the disciples were indignant when they saw this and said, Why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold for a high price and the money given to the poor. Right, so it says the disciples, plural. So there were several voices in the room voicing their displeasure at what just happened. Look at this waste. Now, John, again, gives us a little clue as, as to who kind of got the ball rolling on this complaint train. In John 12, verse 4, it says, But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, who was intending to betray him, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor people? Now, I said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief. And as he had the money box, he used to pilfer what was put into it. So he was the treasurer for their little organization. John tells us that Judas was, he uses the word kleptus. It's where we get like kleptomania, right? It's a thief, but it's a, it's a thief, it's someone who steals not on a whim, but carefully planned out. That's worse, right? If someone, someone says something in the heat of the moment, that's one thing. When you can tell they've really thought about it, it hurts a lot worse. And his criticism, though, it sounds righteous, right? What a waste we could have done good with that. Think of all the good we could have done with this. Here's the thing, though, is that people, hypercritical people, tend to be hypocritical people. People that are hypercritical tend to be hypocritical. Because what we're overly critical of tells everyone, everyone else a lot about us. Right? What we're overly critical about reveals our own insecurities, our own shame. And Judas was critical of this waste, as he calls it, because it was money that he would not be able to pilfer from. It was money that he would never even get the chance to do what he liked to do with it. Now this story, it's, it's here for a reason. Because I believe it was at this moment is when Judas sort of made up his mind. This was the final straw. This is when he finally decided, okay, I'm going to sell this guy out. Because he's been following Jesus <clears throat> as long as anyone has. And he's been following Jesus for what he can get from Jesus. See, his goal is if Jesus leads a political revolution, if the people make him king, Judas is one of his closest advisors. Judas is going to benefit from that, right? He's going to have a position of authority and power and influence. And, and along with that generally comes wealth. But it's becoming clearer and clearer that Jesus doesn't plan to do it the way Judas wants him to do it. And so this, this ship is sinking. He's going to get whatever severance package he can before it goes down. Right? This, was the, this was the final straw for him. But, you know, I, I've been, been in ministry for a long time, and... Uh, 
I've seen people come to church for all sorts of reasons. It's one of my favorite things to ask people is, you know, why are you here? Um, you know, what brought you here? Yeah, I don't say, why are you here? But, you know, um, people come uh, seeking hope or freedom from guilt and shame. Or maybe they, they're hoping to have a better marriage. They want peace. They want forgiveness. And none of those are wrong. Those are all good things. But none of those are worship. Because worship isn't about getting something from Jesus. It's about giving to him. It's a very different thing. So the word worship... Most often is used, uh, the word is used is uh, proskuneo. It's, it's to kiss toward. It's to uh, show someone their worth, to, um, to prostrate yourself before them. To, you know, it's, it's what you do out of love for the object of it. And that type of worship costs too much for most of us, if we're honest. Because it, it's a submission to the Lord, and it's, it's me making him priority even over myself. And we don't like that. Because, you know, whether we will admit it or not, our image is kind of important to us. Right? I'm, you know, I'll go to church, but, you know, when they stand up and sing, I'm going to fold my arms. And I'm just going to glare at the screen. Maybe I'll mouth some words. Don't get me wrong, worship isn't all just singing, but I'm definitely not going to lift my hands like some kind of wacko. You know, even though at a football game when they score, what do I do? Yeah. I'm not going to do that because I don't want people to think I'm some kind of weirdo. I'm Why do they make us stand for these songs? These songs aren't even in good. I'm bored. Why is it so cold in here? Why is it so hot in here? Why can't, get the, why can't they get the thermostat right? Because that lady realized there's a big hole in her hair the way she does it that way. <laughs> I'm hungry. <sighs> right? Those are the things that run through our minds. I may, even, I may even give some money because I'm a responsible adult, right? It's like I'll buy candy bars from those kids, whatever, no matter what the cause is, just to get them off my porch. But, but I'm not going to give sacrificially, right? I'm not going to do without my new boat or my new whatever because I'm not one of those wackos. But that's, that's what worship is. It's being a little bit of a wacko for the one that you love. Because if you've been married for any period of time, you've probably discovered that you do all sorts of things you never thought you would do for love. Right? (laughs) Yeah. A few weeks ago, I was walking around the Apple Festival with my wife. I'm not a fan. And 
And I didn't even realize it, but I'm humming a song, and Deanna says, you didn't have to come. And I'm like, what? I'm humming the things you do for love, you know? <laughs> and I was like, oh. Well, I'm just going to go over there so I don't get mad about how much money you're spending. So. Let's go back to Matthew 26, verse 10. Because Jesus, he's not unaware of their complaints, right? It says, Jesus, aware of this, said to them, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, but you do not always have me. Now, don't, don't get this twisted. Okay? Jesus is not saying, forget about the poor. I've actually heard politicians quote this scripture in defense of, like, cutting aid and welfare programs. Because you'll always have the poor. I'm like, that's not what he was getting at. Jesus cared very much for the poor. He's even quoting the Mosaic Law regarding it. It's Deuteronomy 15, verse 11. It says, for the poor, you will never, will never cease to be in your land. Right? There will always be poor folks in your land. Therefore, I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your, your needy and poor in your land. Right? Jesus wasn't saying, don't help poor people. They're always going to be poor. This isn't a poverty, it's just a thing. Oh well, it's, it's a command to always do what you can. But, it, but he's getting at, there's an issue here of priority. Because sacrificial worship is time sensitive. It is time sensitive. There's always an opportunity to do good. There are always good causes to support. But you only get so many opportunities to do great things. You may, you may think, you know, I'm, I'm not really one of those people that shares my testimony or, you know, I'm not, I don't feel super confident about sharing the gospel. But maybe I will someday. Who are you going to share the gospel with in heaven? Right? If you're in heaven, what, are you going to, like, tell Peter? You know, here's, here's what I learned. You only get so many opportunities to share the gospel. You only get so many opportunities in this life. You can't... There may be someone that you are uniquely equipped to meet a need in their life. And you can't put that off to when you get around to it. So I'm just, I'm just throwing this out there. If God has been impressing on your heart lately to do something, do it. Today's the day. Uh, because we're not promised how many we get. We're not owed another one. So whatever it is God has been impressing upon you to take a step in, I suggest you do it. So he says this, he, he reminds them that, hey, she's doing something good. She was preparing me for something. Verse 12, it says, For when she performed, or when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, 
what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. Sacrificial worship leaves a memorial. It lasts. It has an impact unlike any other. See, John, John said that when Mary anointed him with this oil, that the house was filled with the fragrance. Most likely, you could smell hints of this oil a week later when Jesus is being crucified. I wonder if, if Jesus wasn't maybe comforted a little bit in those moments by the smell of that oil and being reminded of Mary's love and devotion to him. I wonder if other people didn't smell him as he passed by and notice that he smelled different. Like maybe he was prepared for this. And the smell, you know, the sense of smell is, is really unusual. It, it's, uh, it's the sense that is most closely linked to memory. You've probably had those, a few of those memories, right? There's certain things that you smell it and you just, you're transported back to grandma's kitchen or your first football practice or whatever. You know, those, those scents that every time I, the, you know, smell freshly cut grass, there's a certain memory that I just always have. And God's not unaware of that. You know, that's why uh, he involved different fragrances and stuff in the tabernacle worship and but your sense of smell, it's also closely linked to attraction, to physical attraction. So here's a little tip, guys. Let your wife pick your cologne. Don't get the one that you like. Get the one that she likes. <laughs> just, just throwing it out there. Uh, a lot of times, you know, our musk that we like, it smells like B.O. to them, so. But here's, here's the thing. She, she anointed him with this oil and this sense, or the scent filled the whole house and it hung around. And that's what, when you give sacrificially, when you worship sacrificially, it permeates your life. It's not just contained in that one act. It will affect everything else. What's your life smell like? What does your life smell like? When you leave the room, what's the lasting impression when you leave the room? 2 Corinthians 2 verse 5 says that we, uh, we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So do I leave little hints of, of jealousy and bitterness and arguments, complaints, or is there a, the sweetness of Christ just barely noticeable, but there when I leave the room? See, Mary gave, she gave what she could sacrificially, and it lasted. It mattered. Jesus said that wherever people preach the gospel, they're going to hear about this. And if nothing else, we proved him right today.
So the scene fades. There's one more scene to our movie for today. And we flash forward again. Matthew 26, verse 14. It says, Then one of the twelve, named Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me to betray him to you? And they weighed out 30 pieces of silver, and from then on he began looking for a good opportunity to betray Jesus. So Judas and Mary, they sat in the same room with the same Savior, heard him say the same words, and they responded very differently. The difference, I think, is that Mary spent her time at the feet of Jesus. So, if, you know, if we spend a little time in his word, at his feet, and bring him what we have, the sweetness and the goodness of him, of Jesus, will get all over our lives. And that's what I want. Because I know, I know myself, I know that more often than not, the, the smell I leave behind in a room is, you know, my pride or my anger or my wrath or my excuses for why I tr- mistreated someone rather than showing them the love of Jesus. And the reality is, I think that's the case for most of us. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. So let's spend a little time at his feet and see if we can't, uh, we can't walk away with a little bit of his sweetness on us. Let me pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for your love, for your mercy. We thank you, Lord, that in spite of our frailties, in spite of our weaknesses, that you love us more than we can understand. God, we thank you. We, we're thankful that in the moments when you were suffering on our behalf, that you had something to remind you of one that had listened and loved you and given all that they had to you. Lord, we know that you gave all that you had for us. We just pray, Lord, that, uh, that we could leave here knowing you a little better. Lord, that when, when we deal with our kids, with our spouses, with our employers, that there be just a little something different in the air. That people would get a little, a little touch of you through us. And God, whatever it is that you've been impressing on each person today, uh, we know there's some step you're wanting us to take. Whatever it is, Lord, we pray that uh, your spirit would your spirit would help us and encourage us to take that step. And that we could know what true intimacy and worship of you feels like. God, we pray for blessing on your people. And we thank you. We pray you come and come quickly. In Jesus' name, amen. Ready? Break.